Hi everyone, I'm Adam Johnson. I'm a dad and a rare disease patient advocate, a self-proclaimed dadvocate. From the onset of symptoms and even after an eventual diagnosis, the isolation was almost as excruciating as the symptoms themselves. I felt so alone in so many ways. One of the most prominent ways in particular was as a parent. I knew I couldn't be the only person with a rare disease who was also trying to raise children, but it sure felt like I was. As I've learned, when there's not a specific community you're looking for, one that you need, sometimes you just have to make it yourself. It's taken a while, but I finally decided to do just that. And here we are. This is Parents is Rare, a series brought to you by Energy in Action. Living life as a parent with a rare disease can be quite paradoxical. We laugh and cry, we're vulnerable and scared, we're brave and afraid, all at the same time. Parents is Rare is a community where parents like me, who have a rare disease or chronic illness, can connect, share, support, and be supported. Hi everyone, it's time for another episode in the Parents is Rare series of the Energy in Action podcast. Hope you're doing well, I'm your host Adam Johnson. Today's discussion is with Tara Zier. Tara is the founder and president of the Stiff Person Syndrome Research Foundation, where the vision is that all people with stiff person syndrome receive a prompt diagnosis, compassionate care, effective treatments, and a cure. And the mission is to raise awareness of stiff person syndrome, to support research for better treatments and a cure for SPS, while strengthening the community through education and collaboration. With Tara leading the way, they're making outstanding progress. She is also a mother to two wonderful children. They're a little older than my kiddos, so I know I'll continue to gain insight from Tara as we move ahead. I find myself recognizing many parallels in our stories, from parenting as a rare disease patient to redefining what our lives look like after rare disease introduced itself. I certainly admire her tenacity and the work that she does. Our conversation is chock full of wonderful perspective, fabulous insight, incredible resources, and a ton of heart. And to be fair, that all comes from Tara's side. I'm just along for the ride, benefiting from her greatness, just as all of you will as well. Please enjoy this conversation with Tara Zier. Hello, Tara. It's nice to see you here on the on the computer screen and to get your audio captured for the rest of the audience. This is fantastic. Thank you for taking some time. It's been a busy few weeks for you. How are you holding up? Doing all right. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for having me. It has been a busy few weeks, yes. But it, it seems to always be a busy few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. There's not very many reprieves, is there? No, especially not when you have children. <laughs> I know it. That is the ultimate component here. And I appreciate you jumping in to share some of your experiences for how things go for you living life with a rare disease and, and having your kiddos as well. Your kids are, are older than mine, but I was wondering if you wouldn't mind just kind of jumping in and sharing a little bit of background about yourself and your story, and then we'll just jump into our conversation from there. Sure, absolutely. So I came to this space, if if you will, the rare disease space, because I have a rare disease called stiff person syndrome. It's a kind of a, a dumb name, really, honestly. It doesn't do it justice. It's a rare neurological disease with autoimmune features. People aren't just stiff. They have muscle rigidity and spasms that can break bones, dislocate joints, and result in life-threatening breathing problems. It's said to be progressive. There are really no good treatments and no cure. I was diagnosed in 2017 after a three years long diagnostic odyssey of going from doctor to doctor. Unfortunately, medically mismanaged, misdiagnosed. That was extremely challenging 
And then after diagnosis, then there's this whole new set of things that you deal with, with, you know, what, what are the best doctors to treat? And then what are the treatment options? And so that's been kind of how I landed here. <laughs> there's a lot of other parts to this. Um, we can get into whatever you want with it. It's a journey's kind of a unusual word that people often use. It's been really bumpy, but um, there have been a lot of positives and there have been a lot of challenges. Absolutely. And it sounds like it. And I, you know, one word that you shared a little bit earlier there, Tara, was odyssey. You talked about the diagnostic odyssey, and that's a, a journey that many of us in the rare disease space are familiar with. And I feel like that word odyssey really compares to that journey aspect that you're talking about as well. It's not like once we get that diagnosis, it's an end point, right? It's, it's on some ways, it's a beginning as well as we move forward. For me and my diagnosis, that was a big challenge to hear, yeah, you've got this rare disease, there's no treatment, there's no cure, and it's progressive. So those are a few similarities that we share. In terms of processing things, what was that like for you to hear that information after such a long odyssey to get to that point? Well, there was definitely some relief that I got some answer. I think that there were a couple triggers for my disease. One, my kids lost their father in 2014 in the fall. And then three months later, I developed pneumonia. And then I started to spiral down after that. And I uh, was a dentist for 20 years and then you know, was able to practice dentistry. And then when that was going on, I was feeling so much just like operating in crisis mode to get to you know, what is actually going on in my body? Um, what is the diagnosis? And feeling this pressure to stay alive where I didn't have control over that either. So there was so much anxiety tied in with that diagnostic odyssey where, you know, I'm like, I'm it. I'm their only parent. And for them to see this going on, there was trauma, so much trauma happening. Like I was just to put it into perspective, and I, I know this is not uncommon for people who go through this, is, you know, I was in the ER nine times total in the two and a half years I went through this. And each time that I was faced with something that, you know, where I was kind of in a crisis state, I had to say, okay, if I call 911, this is going to be traumatic for my children, for them to see me go through that process, go into the emergency room. But if I don't call 911, what if I die? You know, and, and so going through that diagnostic odyssey, like that's kind of a, you know, odyssey, you could use so many different words, but that's, it was awful. And so when I finally got diagnosed, there was relief from that. It's like, okay, I don't feel now that I have to keep going in panic mode to all these different doctors. So that part was like, okay, the diagnosis isn't great, but that part I felt like had settled out. So then, it, then it's like, okay, now we're on to phase two. And that is, okay, you know, I had to learn about the disease. Who are the best doc doctors to treat it? And then what are the best treatment options for me? And how is this going to impact my life? And so I just went into sort of that phase of uh, education, if you will, for me? And then what struggles, is, is there something I can anticipate? And I guess part of it too is just because someone tells me, okay, this is progressive, there's no cure. I had to push that aside in my mind and look for how do I heal? You know, there's something that, you know, I know we had a prior conversation about, about medical hexing where a doctor can say, okay, you know, 
you've got a progressive illness. There's no cure. And that can mess with people's minds, you know, and it's like, well, why, why try to get better? Why try to get better then? So for me, the best thing for me is to, was to put that aside and say, okay, what can I look at? What's a comprehensive approach that I can do for myself psychologically, physically to try to get better for myself and for my children? And the big driver to me is to teach my kids just because, you know, you've dealt a, a difficult hand in life, you can still thrive and make a difference. Does that help answer? Yeah, absolutely. And there, there's a lot there that we could, you know, certainly unpack, as is the case with many things in our lives as we're trying to navigate as parents with a rare disease. And, you know, I want to commend you for sharing your story and for taking that approach. And that's one of the things that really stood out to me when we talked the first time is how you really wanted to show the kids, hey, I can still do things. I can still make an impact. And, you know, I, I love that. It's one of the things that kind of helped pull me out of the the hole, the rut that I was in after facing many, you know, many different folks that were telling me all the challenges that were present, including, you know, things like it's all in your head, get over it type of situation. Once you finally start to come out of that a little bit, that was a big influence and an impact for me. And I wanted to ask Tara if that was, you know, was that a big part of one of those things to help keep you going and move forward was when you started your foundation? Oh, absolutely. I was a dentist for 20 years. And when I was declining, I kept cutting back my days at work, trying to figure out my health until it was at the point where, you know, I was checking my vitals in between patients. And I'm like, I can't do it anymore. You know, it just got to that point where I just, I'm like, it's, it was like, today's the day. Today's the day that it's over. And so there was this process with my career where I didn't realize, but I thought dentistry defined me and that's kind of how I was viewing myself. And it wasn't a conscious thing, but I, I felt lost when I gave that, you know, when I didn't give it up, you know, the disease, yeah. you know, impacted me in a way that I couldn't practice anymore. So when I got to the place where I was diagnosed and it was probably my third visit or so with early on with my neurologist at Hopkins I was in debilitating pain, you know, a lot of fatigue, no good treatments. I, knew, I already knew the treatments available and there were risks associated with those treatments. They may or may not work. What works well for one person may not work for someone else. And my neurologist said we had, um, meaning Hopkins, had recently applied for a research grant at NIH and they were denied the grant because there wasn't enough research to support getting the grant. And my mind was just blown when I heard him say that. So. That spun me into, okay, wait, I can't stay like this and do nothing. So within a couple of weeks, we were on the news. You know, I'm like, first of all, we have to raise awareness. No one knows about this condition. And, and secondly, we need funding. You know, there, we need to, if, if Hopkins can't get a, a grant for research, you know, somebody's got to do something. So for me, starting the foundation, you know, that was twofold. One, you know, we, we need the funding to, to support research. Uh, to get to better treatments and a cure. And then also the the other piece that, that I mentioned, the driver for my kids, you know, is to say, hey, you know, I'm going to do something. I want you to see me actually doing something um, that's positive. So essentially it gave me a new purpose in life. And I'm very grateful for that piece. Absolutely. And I'm grateful that you took that as an opportunity to do that. It's weird, right? It's like so many of these different dichotomies that we face where they're 
paradoxical type feelings, you know, these seemingly contradictory type things. On one hand, I'm furious and, and questioning and wondering why are we still in such a struggle to get that funding, to get that research, to move things forward and have this, you know, this progress made that we so desperately need. And on the other, it's like, even though it is up to us, it's up to us. And so we're going to go and do it. And there's a, a sense of pride and, and stick to that's there for that purpose that we have. And I commend you for doing that as well. It's fantastic. Well, Back at you, Adam. I mean, look what you're doing. I mean, you're helping people and and making a, a difference in people's lives by allowing them to share. I mean, it's for me, it's whatever I can do to help support the community, anyone struggling uh, with this. I mean, it's it's really it's helped me for people to share with me. So I want to pay it forward. Yeah, and I appreciate you doing that. Thanks for the kind words, Tara. It is it, it's a community effort, and for me, I was lost before I found this community. Right. Like getting that diagnosis, which I thought meant a treatment and a cure and back to life as I knew it. Turns out it was, hey, this is progressive. Hey, there's no treatment. There's no cure. Good luck with all that, right? Like go manage your symptoms. And I'm sitting there looking around like, where is everybody else that's in this situation? I can't be the only one, even though I felt like I was the only one. And I'm I'm so grateful to be able to find find community to connect with. One of the biggest struggles for me with that process era of going through the the diagnostic odyssey and my kids seeing me decline in in my health and in my work and in my travels and the things that I used to do more importantly the activities with them and how I interacted with them that was the hardest thing I I could not stand that it was horrible for me and my my son was really young at the time so he probably doesn't remember those before times but my daughter does with your kids I you know I wondered how that that process was for you because I know you and your family you'd already been through a significant amount of trauma and loss and challenges to say the least right and my my condolences about your husband and, and your kids and their dad it's it's unspeakable and and then the rare disease announced itself so we know that has an impact on you. And part of the reason I started this podcast is how does it impact the kids and how does it impact us and our relationships there? Could you speak to that a little bit, how that was for, for you, for your kids as you're going through the, the process and how things changed for everybody? It's so hard, like you said, when you are used to performing at a certain level and, you know, I, my activity level was extremely high prior to this, where I did martial arts with my kids when they were young, and I continued to do it. I, I trained multiple days a week. I was super active. I wouldn't think twice about going and doing things. And for my kids to see me go from, my, mine are, were older. Mine were 11 and 13 when their dad passed. And so, you know, they were a little bit older when all of this happened. So they really have a great uh, sense of what I was like prior to this. And then it was really hard for me mentally knowing that they were witnessing the change where they saw me on the couch a lot. They saw me struggle getting out of bed. They saw me going through, you know, I think the hardest was the, the diagnostic odyssey because I was in and out of the hospital quite a bit. And all of that, I, I know traumatized my children and I couldn't help it. And that's the thing that was so difficult. It's like, I don't want to hurt them. They've already been through enough but there was nothing I could do about it. And, you know, I was like, I don't want pity. I don't want any of that. I just, I just want a break. Like if I can have a break somehow so that I'm not traumatizing my kids anymore. And I think 
what happened was we became closer through this in a lot of ways. I have really good relationships with my children. I personally got so much clarity as far as what's important for me. I mean, it spun down to very, very simple clear things on, you know, boundaries, participating in different things because my energy level is is limited and and compromised. And so I, I'm fortunate to be able to participate in my kids' activities. It's hard, but I can do it and I do it. I mean, I went one time from the ER in an Uber to my son's wrestling match. And straight from the ER. That's one example of things that I'm grateful that I could do. Was that easy? No. But I'm like, all right, here are the, you know, the things that I want to, if at all possible, to be able to do. How do I do it? How do I plan to do that? Everything's about planning when you're dealing with a chronic condition. It's like, when do I plan my shower? It's that level of planning. So I'm I'm honest with them about the sort of reality of there are unknowns ahead of us and be grateful for the day. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And everything that you say there is, is valid. And I'm glad that you you share it to the extent that you do. I, I, you know, I appreciate it so much because those are all real things, right? That's all stuff that we are are going through in this journey as we as we try to navigate. And there are there are unknowns, as you said, there are twists, there are turns, there are things that you know, I think I might be prepared for and have a handle on, and then all of a sudden I don't. And those are difficult and challenging situations. And I, I like taking that that spin of saying, hey, this is the day, like a almost like a you know, carpe diem type, seize the day, let's get after it. And the the part that you added there at the end is also an incredibly important point. It's not easy. It's, it's challenging, it's difficult, it's hard, and it's something that, for me, if I don't acknowledge that challenge, Tara, I, I get into a worse spot, right? If I, if I try to pretend like everything's, you know, butterflies and unicorns, that's where I get in trouble a little bit more. Yeah. You know, to a point that you made earlier, Tara, about budgeting your time and your energy and your resources down to the point of, you know, when do I take a shower? You know, how do I plan for making a meal? What do I do to prep for picking up the kids after school today, right? Like I've got to do those things and almost backward plan or design it. And I feel like for me, you know, I come from the field of education. I used to teach graduate courses in educational management and, and course design and those things. I use backwards planning all the time. To, I feel like I have to backward plan everything now. And it's, it's such a, a, a dynamic shift that I still grapple with that as well. I still kind of, you know, I'm... I'm hard on myself about it, even though I know that's what I have to do as part of those boundaries. Sure. Absolutely. It's hard to rest the brain. That's, that's what I have a challenge because um, <laughs> I, I'm always thinking, okay, how do I execute this and set myself up for success? Yeah. And it's such a different mindset. I was just talking to a, a friend this morning about, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenge now. It's difficult for me because even things like walking and breathing, are things that I have to think about now. And that's not, that's not anything that anybody thinks about, really, unless you or until you get to a situation similar to what we're working through. And it's just there. It's, it's a part of the process. I wanted to revisit, Tara, you talked about communication a little bit earlier. And, and if you don't mind, I wanted to kind of go back to, you know, when you were, you were uh, getting your diagnosis and kind of going through that diagnostic odyssey, and that was a challenging time for you and for the kids. In terms of 
communicating, which is an important aspect for sure. What do you remember from the time when you told your kids what was going on and how you approached that communication? And then a, a follow-up to that would be, how has that evolved now that your kiddos are, are older now? I, and I'm just so you know, Tara, I'm, I'm kind of asking for a friend, which is me, because I'm going to be there at some point, <laughs> not too oh, distant God. future. Yeah. yeah, that's so tricky, you know, and I think it depends on the kid too, to a degree, you know, people process things differently. And that's when I really leaned on counselors. When their dad passed away, I immediately reached out to a counselor. I'm like, how do, how do I, how do I talk to my kids about these things? How do I be honest with them without completely overloading them or adding a, some enormous amount of stress to their lives? You know, how do I communicate in a fashion where it's healthy? I leaned on counselors to help guide me with both children and offered counseling for, for my kids. And, you know, one, it's, it's interesting because, you know, children are different uh, and timing is interesting. Like you can't, you can't force something on someone, like a child or an adult, if they're not quite ready for it because it doesn't work. Like in my mind, it's like, okay, this happened. Then we need to do, we have to do this right now. And it's not as black and white. I've always been honest with my children and I had to decide how much information to give them. The reality is though, for my particular disease, it's a spectrum condition. And there are people with different levels of disability with this disease. And I told them, like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what this looks like for my future, but we're going to take it day by day. And I'm going to, I'm going to do what I can to help myself. And so I've done a lot of unconventional things and they've seen me do those things. And so I sort of approached it that way and I got some guidance with how to talk to them about it. It's also being able to be honest with them and say, Hey, you guys may look up stuff and, but I would rather do that together if you want to do that. So we can talk about it. It's a great, great way to handle that. Yeah. Because, you know, if they're off, if they're off in their rooms, reading about stuff, anything can freak you out on the internet. I mean, you look up stuff and you'll get all kinds of different things that may or may not be accurate. So I'm like, if you want to look up stuff, let's do it together. And if you, if you don't, you know, if you do it on your own and, you know, talk to me about it. And so I kind of approached it that way too, because I'm certainly understand that, um, especially when things scare people, they will tend to go online and look up stuff. So that's another piece that I, I talk to them about. And they also know about the foundation. Even when I started the foundation, when I first went going through just the setup with my attorney, initially I had it set up where, okay, you know, whenever I pass away, you know, hopefully not anytime soon, but you know, nobody ever knows when their last day is going to be. But originally I had it set up that the board members could either continue it or, or dissolve it. And then I just, you know, I, I, I sat on that for a little bit and then I was like, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with that because I believe so much in the mission and what we're doing to help support finding better treatments and a cure for this, that I didn't want to leave it to chance. And so I called the attorney and I said, okay, I'm just, this isn't setting well with me. He said, well, is there anyone in your family? A lot of people keep nonprofits in the family. Is there anyone who could, you know, 
take over and run it. I said, well, my, my daughter's 18 and she was 18 at the time. And, um, he said, well, you could talk to her. And, and I, I just, I mean, it kind of just gives me chills, honestly, just to think about it. I, she was sitting in her bed and I said, Hey, you know, I said this, I said, I, I, I don't know when I'm going to pass away, hopefully not anytime soon, but I'd love for this foundation to continue. Would you, would you take over? And she didn't even bat an eye. She said, sure, mommy, I'll do it. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. It was a wonderful, you know, progression, how you kind of walked through where things were at the time of diagnosis to kind of where they are closer to, to now as your, as your kids have gotten older. And, and honestly, for, you know, for somebody like me, Tara, who's still, you know, fairly early on in this, in this journey, right. I've, I've had my diagnosis in October this coming year for, it'll be, it'll be three years. And, um, you know, when I, when I look at that, it's still, it's still hopefully pretty early on in my journey, right? Like I want to continue things on and, and keep things moving and see things progress. And so I'm at those early stages that you kind of described in terms of conversations with the kids. And, you know, it provides, a, a, it provides some hope. Not that I was hopeless before, right? Because my kids are phenomenal. They're amazing. My daughter's doing incredible work baking cupcakes to raise money for families with mitochondrial disease. And I couldn't be more proud of her. And she, you know, she's up over $4,000 that she's raised now. And it's just this phenomenal work that she's doing. And, you know, to just kind of project forward and see how things go. I, I always worry a little bit in the back of my mind that they're going to get tired of that or, you know, not want to be a part of it. It's going to be too much. But just the, the I don't know, the, the kids just blow me away with their empathy and their kindness. I mean, it's phenomenal. And I love that your kids are so involved with with you and your your foundation as well. It's really neat to see them participate. You know, I, I wanted to highlight you, you mentioned, you know, you weren't quite sure if that was the answer because there's not necessarily a answer for this or an answer for this, right? It's, and, and I think that's incredibly important to, to recognize and that we can't have everything all planned out, but we can support each other along the way. And, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful for that support that, that you're providing for me and then for everybody else that's listening as well, just to hear about your experiences. It's so, it's so important. And you're right. Well, oftentimes we can't predict where things are going when it came for, you know, time for me to have the conversations with at the time, you know, my daughter was 10 and my son was three it was just, hey, daddy's got, you know, these, these, this illness, this sickness that he's got. It's a, it's, it's a disease that we just found out about. I tried to put it in kid-friendly terms as if I were back in my elementary school teaching days, right? Like with my second graders, fourth graders, like, how can I, how can I put this in kid-friendly language? And then my daughter just kind of soaked it in a little bit. And she's such a sweetheart. She, she worries, she worries, she worries. And I could have never predicted the next step, which was her coming to me a few months later when the science project was happening at school and she asked her teacher for the science project reporting on a part of the body if she could do mitochondria that's incredible that was my cue okay she's ready for this and then we did the together thing on the internet like you mentioned so i think those are great points great little tidbits that people can take away and kind of keep in mind even though there's not a one size fits all yeah the kids will shock you well in many yes. ways all the time <laughs> they'll throw you off for sure that is absolutely right in general you know they, they throw you off with stuff. the joys of parenting right yeah yeah <laughs> absolutely well well when we talked last time tara I, you had some exciting news i'm not sure how how new the news was but i wanted to to see if you 
you know, had anything that you wanted to share with everybody about the foundation, any updates or new exciting things that you've got going on there that we can kind of keep keep an eye out for as we continue to, to cheer you on and, and support you in any way we can? It's been nonstop since I, since really since the beginning. Um, what really added fuel to the, to the foundation, we were uh, fortunate to get the uh, Chan Zuckerberg Rare is One grant. We're part of this cohort. Hort. There are 50 rare disease organizations in this cohort, and we are in cycle two. So we were one of 20 coming into the existing um, cycle one. Fantastic. Love it. I mean, I, I'm just blown away that we got it. I mean, it was just incredible, you know, as a young organization. And they offer three years of funding for organizational capacity for sustainability and networking, which is incredibly valuable to be able to network with 49 other rare disease organizations. I mean, you talk about a community, it's amazing. And they also offer different training support uh, and sessions, you know, all facets of, of running a rare disease nonprofit. So, you know, it's, it's like, be careful what you wish for. Right. So it's like, boom, like that happened. And it's like, okay, now I'm up till 2am. My neurologist is getting upset with me. It's like, you need to sleep. I'm like, I've got work to do. And um, so, so there's that. Since we uh, got the grant, we've expanded our board. We have also uh, brought on um, three members uh, for our medical advisory board. There are three neurologists, the experts in this, in stiff person syndrome, one from Mayo, Dr. McKeon, one from Johns Hopkins, Dr. Newsom, and one does research in Athens and um, has a clinic at the Jefferson Institute, Dr. Delacus. So they, they're all experts in the field. Dr. Jim Weiss, he's the chairman, and I work with him. We're we're on more Zoom calls. We're on Zoom calls probably twice a day. I've never met him on per, in person yet. We will soon. But to actually see the medical advisory board come together and see these neurologists collaborate and see the excitement there, that's been amazing. Especially in a world where some some chaos going on, unfortunately, in the world, and and to see people connected and committed to a mission that feels so incredible. I, I mean, that was surreal. Like I, I was on the first, we've had one meeting and to see them all on a Zoom call, I was like, wow, this is like one of the best days of my life, honestly. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And we are in the process of developing our patient contact registry, natural history studies. That's a heavy lift. Um, there's a lot involved with that from platforms to who's going to manage the data. But it's absolutely critical to have that with a rare disease, to have the data uh, all in, in one place for you know as many individuals who can participate so that it's available for research, for pharma, to get to clinical trials, to get to better treatments and a cure. That's been our focus. That's every day we're working toward making you know, decisions on what's best for our organization so that we can get that launched. That's wonderful. I can hear it too in your voice. There's, you know, that excitement's there, that momentum's moving forward. And boy, yeah, I just wish all the best for, for you and your team as you move forward. I'm excited to see where things go. And and I wanted to mention as well, Sarah, that anybody that's that's listening that wants to learn more information, they, they can go to your website, stiffperson.org. We'll get the note and the show notes linked up so that they can just access that there. there there's lots of great information about SPS. There's 
interviews with patients of all ages or around the world. There's self-advocacy tips. There's, you know, help for anybody that, that's struggling to get a diagnosis or suffering from, from rare disease. So we definitely want to point people there and then to follow you on, on social as well. It's at the SPSRF. And uh, we'll, we'll link those again in the show notes, but wanted to get that out there for folks that want to connect with you as well. Yeah. Any, any other last words of, you know, advice or, or wisdom that you'd like to share with the, the rare community at large or other parents of, with a rare disease in a similar situation before we wrap up at all, Tara? Gosh, I mean, I think I, I that was, that was it, what I wanted to share. And yeah, that's great. It connect, connect with people. That's another one of the tips is connect with people. You know, the connections are, are really important and focusing on what you can do and trying to keep, keep that as your focus is what, what, what can I do? What can I do? And, um, and, and I'm not saying these things are easy by any stretch, but that's, those are some things that have helped me tremendously. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I'm certainly glad that we connected Tara and I, and I echo those sentiments that you mentioned there. The connections have been a big part for me in, in terms of trying to figure out how to move forward and, and, and cope and, and move you know, move through things. It's a, an ever-changing landscape for, for us. And, you know, I'm very appreciative, very thankful for connections like the one we've made here. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me about these important topics. I really enjoyed our conversation. Tara, you keep up the great work and we'll stay in touch. Thanks. You too. Thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. You bet. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Parents is Rare, a series of the Energy in Action podcast. Please be sure to leave a review and a rating for this episode wherever you listen and subscribe and listen to the Energy in Action podcast, where we talk all things Mito. Until next time, remember to show up, be vulnerable, supportive, and kind, and give yourself permission to feel along the way.